This is Strange Assembly episode 145, Gen Con 2014 in review, part one. I am, as always, Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with Jay Earl. Hey. And Mike Cook. Yo. And as we are currently here recording, it is Tuesday, August 19th, so two days after Gen Con, which means that I think we all really should still be sleeping it off, but instead... uh, (sighs) Yeah, I really heard enough of that at Gen Con. Thanks, Jay. (laughs) But this episode is the first of what are probably going to be, I'm guessing, four Gen Con-related episodes. I'm guessing four because what we're going to be talking about tonight is is general Gen Con stuff, what we did at Gen Con, what we saw at Gen Con, all sorts of awesomeness. And I'm guessing that's going to run too long for it to be one episode because... There's an awful lot at Gen Con, and I can talk. Let's face it. Then we're going to follow up after that with an episode that is specifically about all the Legend of the Five Rings stuff. So, you know, in this episode, you'll hear me say, and for most of Thursday, I played Sea Shard of Darkness. And then it'll be in the L5R episode that we'll really get into that and things like storyline consequences. This Gen Con also saw the release of Doomtown Reloaded and the inaugural tournaments for that game and our man Jay here finished top 16 in both of them and so we will have a later episode where we get in more in depth about Doomtown and talk about strategy so if you're interested in more detail about Doomtown that will be coming but in this episode we would just talk generally about Doomtown in a non-specialist sort of way. So, the first day day zero of Gen Con, as I call it, is Wednesday, Trade Day. Jay and I were both at Trade Day, so what did you do and see on Trade Day this year, Jay? So, I did several educational panels that I thought were interesting, talking a lot about how to bring gaming into the classroom. There were two that were specifically how to bring making games into the classroom, including a middle school teacher who does a program where she has her students in the course of a semester make board games from scratch, which sounds like a really cool program. I wish I'd had that in middle school. And then... Also went to the Doomtown panel that was packed to the gills. It was fully loaded, yes. And then checked out some games at Demo Night, including the new D&D, which was quite a bit of fun. Yes, yes. And I, I also did that, yes. Yeah. So while on, on trade day, uh, while Jay was mostly at the educator track, basically, the for the most part, People who are eligible to go to Trade Day are retailers, educators, and librarians. The primary thing on Trade Day is seminars. And most of the seminars are kind of tracked into one of those three categories. I was there as a member of the press, but 
no content is designed for the press. We're just there sitting in. And I mostly went to retailer things. I was curious to see, you know, what is it that other industry types are, are saying to retailers about how to, to do things. So the first panel that I went to actually was, and I went to a couple of theirs during the day was by Wizards of the Coast. They basically had a room that was theirs and it was all about their interactions with retailers, their organized play programs for magic, for D&D, for, for other things. But some of it was really sort of generic how to run a successful game store sort of, of panel because you know, game stores are really important for, for Wizards of the Coast and Magic as a, as a place for people to play. They have, over the years, done things like moved pre-releases from being freestanding events to being events that were run in game store. And, and so the, the selling experiences, I think, was some of it kind of obvious things. If you were sitting down as a gamer about like stuff that you would like to have in game stores and wizards package it up in a nicer way they have different tiers of stores and you know the highest level is advanced plus and to be advanced plus you have to have this quality agreement which includes things like being clean being well lit interesting they they actually did specifically i I, if i recall correctly suggest that you not put up those signs that are like we expect people to be properly attired and have proper body odor control in place because those are actually kind of off-putting to the random gamer who might come in, uh, especially since Magic's audience is going to include things like a mom bringing her kids for Friday Night Magic. I think the other thing that stood out was uh, don't sell the promotional materials. (laughs) This is actually, in the long run, good for your store because you're building up your customer base and you're giving them a reason to come back. You know, offer when we send your store a, a Garrick's axe, you know, use it as a prize for a tournament. I found particularly hilarious an anecdote they related about a a store owner who called them about how he had sold for like hundred dollars. He had sold the giant Garrick standee that Wizards had provided as a promotional thing for Magic 2015 and hadn't realized that part of the stuff that he sold included, you know, a box of promos and he was calling to see if he could get Wizards to give him another set because he had accidentally sold him along with something else. Yeah, so not the brightest owner, that one. I then went to the Kickstarter or one of the Kickstarter things. There are maybe a half dozen Kickstarter seminar panels at various times throughout Gen Con. This is the one that was on trade date. Were you at this one, Jay? I'm Sorry, which one? The Dan Yarrington slash Game Salute Kickstarter panel on Wednesday morning? Yeah. Yeah, and I think Jay stayed for the whole thing. I was there for half of it because then I went back for something else. I wanted to go to this one out of the Kickstarter panels because I wanted to see if there was anything different about it from the retailer side and those who get deep into the weeds on Board Game Geek or other gaming sites might know that the Game Salute has, in the minds of some, gone from a Kickstarter darling to sort of a Kickstarter cautionary tale as they've, you know, they had a stretch there where they were having uh, a bunch of delays. And so I was just sort of interested to see what he was talking about at this, but it 
it ended up being uh, more of a Q&A, which to some extent focused on the same sorts of things where, like, this should be obvious, but, man, people really forget obvious things sometimes. Well, I mean, I think part of the problem with Kickstarter is you've got a lot of people who are like, I want to make a board game, and have never gone through the process, don't know all the business gotchas. They aren't business people, so they don't know those type of things. Yes, like, consider in advance how you're going to handle the taxes you would owe on any money you you might bring in yeah. from Kickstarter, or you might owe, depending on whether or not you make any any money. And I think probably the most interesting point made, although I don't, I don't know how helpful it was, but it was sort of interesting in that as somebody who wants to do a board game Kickstarter, you can f- kind of find yourself between the, the bull's horns because on the one hand, board game stuff does not want to kickstart very incomplete products. Like if you just go up and say, this is my general idea, I would like you to fund my idea, and then we're going to go do the playtesting and all that. People will be like, well, this is terrible. It's not even a game. I don't want to, I don't want to fund it. They like to see essentially a complete product. They like to see something with art. They like to see what the components are. But then if you actually provide them with all of that, you've got a different cadre of people who will sit down and say, Oh, this is abusing Kickstarter. They've already made this game. It's just a pre-order system. And as somebody who's looking at a Kickstarter, you've got some level of, maybe not being able to win with that that dilemma. The thing I left the Kickstarter panel for was the Wizards event reporter panel because that's something that you know we have used sometimes for running tournaments. That was less pertinent to me because, again, this is for retailers. And so it was a lot about how the retailers were using Wizards event reporter to schedule things rather than how people were using Wizards event reporter to actually run the events, but I gotta say, they have a... Watsi is really attentive to detail. I know that they have the ability to do that sort of thing more so than anybody else, because they're the, you know, 900-pound gorilla of the gaming universe, but they really have their act together. They're not putting that uh, those resources to waste. Then I went to a different sort of game store advice thing from set games. I wanted to kind of get a different perspective. Later in the afternoon on trade day, I joined, I joined Jay at that Doomtown Reloaded panel, and yes, it was absolutely packed. Uh, we learned a little bit more, or maybe we just got a reiteration of other stuff that they'd have. I'm not positive about uh, what they're going to be doing. Like, we knew that they were going to have saddlebags. Uh, they talked about the, the saddlebag release schedule, at least at the beginning, is going to be every six to eight weeks. So they're not going to, you know, churn out quite as quickly as the Fantasy Flight LCG packs do. They are already set up to do organized play kits and and each store can run, what, a deputy badge tournament twice a year and then in every state or country or, you know, kind of depend on how they work it out they'll be able to have a sheriff event and then there will be large events like Gen Con will award a US Marshal Gold badge and these are literally badges so you can you know walk into the other guy's store and be like bam I'm the sheriff for this state we're here to take you on they did say that there will be additional factions which I, I'm, I'm not sure that uh, Wooten really wanted 
to be officially committed to, but <laughs> but AG at the panel didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they said it, but my recollection is it's not soon either. No, no, it's someday. There's no way on earth it would be sooner than a year from now. No way. And that would be the earliest possible that it would be. And that's not a number that they said. That's my sense from having talked to people that I, I could not conceive of it happening before then. Uh, and it could be two years. You know, they want to make sure that they've got a solid framework for what they have before they, they go stuff. Another interesting thing is that unlike L5R, you are not going to order any of these organized playthings directly through AEG. That's something that the retailer will be able to deal with directly with their usual distributor. So if you as a Doomtown player ever go to your retailer and they're like, I don't know where to go to get you this organized play stuff, they should contact their distributor. And that's already available for pre-order today. I saw a tweet from a distributor with a link. Yeah, so... That that can be helpful because I know that that sometimes causes some confusions in in L5R land. That you know the retailer does the retailer need to do something? Who do they need to contact? But but for Doomtown, it would just be straight through the the normal distributor. Probably the other thing that may be of note is there were some number of people out there, which I guess this is true for everything, but there were some number of people out there on the internet complaining that AEG was releasing product at Gen Con rather than doing a simultaneous release. They actually talked about how the shipment of everything came in, what, maybe three weeks, a month later than it was supposed to. And so literally it was just, there's a certain amount of product there at their warehouse, and there's no way they could physically possibly get all of it out to everyone around the country. So they, in my opinion, wisely made the decision to prioritize making sure there was enough stuff at Gen Con. <laughs> Which there was enough stuff at Gen Con of the base set, although obviously not the... The fancy box. Since we're talking about Doomtown, let's just cover Doomtown now, although there's a lot of Doomtown going on over the weekend. So the first thing I would say is that I do think that Doomtown was the biggest game at the convention. I, I think it was the most talked about, the hottest. I mean, it, it was huge. I know UJ stood in the line to get the super fancy version on Thursday. Is yep. that the impression that you guys had? Yeah, it was very ubiquitous. It was everywhere. Everybody was playing it incorrectly because there's a few subtle rules that people just get kind of wrong. It's not huge. You know, it's just something you have to learn. And I kept hearing that complaint, the deck building is certainly different, uh, the playing is certainly different from most other games, but everybody seemed to be loving it, and I, like, like I said, I saw copies everywhere. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I was standing in the line and saw the huge amount of people crushing to get it right at the start. How many people were like, is this where I get Doomtown? Oh man, is that really the line? <laughs> I guess I have to, and... Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was, you know, all, all over the place. And, and I think you're, you're right, Mike, right? It is, and I think this is good for something like an LCG, that it's not something you can just pick up and be great at right away. 
for the most part, because if you have a game that's designed to be played over and over again and tweaking decks and adjusting and exploring the metagame, if that's something that you can solve in a day, that's not going to last as a game. It's, it's got to be something that has some more depth to it. And I think Doomtown definitely does that. And, and on top of just has, having depth, it's just so different. It's so different from every every other game. There are other games who have like a little bit of area control and a little bit of people control and etc. But not in the way that Doomtown combines it, along with its deck building, which is obviously very unique. You look at Conquest, and Conquest sold out. Conquest sold out, and I don't know if they ever sold out of Doomtown, but that's because they brought a lot of Doomtown. And they did the pre-order, so they knew some of what they needed. But Conquest, I feel like, is good, but in a lot of ways also has some of the same feeling as like a, a Star Wars or some of those other type of directly confrontational games. It's not that it's the same, not, not that it doesn't have its own unique feeling, but Doomtown does feel very different from basically any other game. And the theme is very unique. I don't know that there's ever been another Western card game. Certainly nothing that comes to my mind. I mean, it seems like there must have been something in the in the late nineties when there were about let me see, let me count, uh one thousand seven hundred and sixty three different CCGs released, I think. No? Something like that. Something must have had a Wild West theme, but Yeah, I mean and there's stuff like Bang and stuff like that that's out there, but just nothing that combines everything in the same way. And honestly the Dead Town's property is a really nice property. It's it's really cool. It's pretty fairly uniquely different it was kind of steampunk before steampunk got really popular so yeah i think all of these things combined very successfully in this game and people just love the lcg format or ecg format yeah. obviously yeah fantasy flight has trademarked the term living card game which maybe we'll talk about later when we get to what we did on sunday so doomtown is an ecg right expandable card game excellent card game <laughs> yep they like that suggestion but uh that was actually one of the questions at the panel was, are you going to trademark ECG? And they're like, no. Uh, <laughs> go to town. They're not hiding around the fact that, yes, this is a great format that, that Fantasy Flight came up with. It's been a successful retail model for this sort of, of game. And I think Doomtown will... I would not be surprised if... If we see Doomtown do as well as I think Doomtown will do, that if we get something like somewhere during the course of 2015, we get an announcement about how they're in 26, you know, Gen Con 2016 is going to be 7C. Bam. And now it's an ECG too. Uh, but that's yeah. getting way further ahead than anyone really should. So. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the other X factors for Doomtown is just that it was also just like Netrunner was a very well-regarded card game. Like, people aren't going into this completely blind. People remember Doomtown. And yeah, they remember it very fondly. There were Doomtown tournaments at Gen Con last year, so... Yes. I think there was even a uh, not Doomtown Reloaded, Doomtown Classic tournament at, Doom, at Gen Con this year. There was. Yeah. I, and I completely agree with you, Mike, that there is a, a lot of similarities there between... Netrunner and, and Doomtown as far as having a an established respect amongst the gaming community for the quality of the the game that enables these to come back 
in the way that, that some other things, right? You know, nobody is going to come out with Wyvern and the LCG. That's not a challenge, publishers. Please, please don't. Please, no. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's bring back Spellfire. Just, you know, dredge the bottom. Uh, the Warcraft versus Alien versus Predator versus Terminator cart. No. no. God, no. Uh, okay, so after the Doomtown battle, I went to yet another Watsy panel, and this one may have been the most just overall life-useful one, because it was about managing your online presence. So it was about businesses for how you deal with Facebook, how you deal with Twitter, how you deal with review sites, how you deal with a displeased customer, whether or not the customer is correct or crazy or whatever, you know, how it is that you try to handle that, because... uh as everyone knows, there's no real way to win an internet argument. I actually thought that that was a helpful thing. Then, like Jay mentioned, after that, there are uh, some publishers show up and do demos of things. Again, I spent most of my evening for that in the, the Watsy thing because they were really out in force for this, and they had D&D 5th, which you may recall from our Gen Con preview episodes, was the thing I was most looking forward to at Gen Con of the, the new releases. Uh, Jay and I did get to play D&D 5th at Trade Day. We would also play it again later in the the convention, and that was really fun. The, the GM, uh, I thought, did a, a really good job that we had with that, which, you know, that helps with any role-playing system. It, you know, it felt like you were doing D&D, so... Three cheers for Merrick Toscobble, my halfling, halfling rogue. <laughs> I also, I had not played Duel, Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 yet, and they had some tablets up there, so I, I got to play that. I also, I guess, kind of forced Jay to play some pseudo-sealed Magic 2015, <laughs> which I did not realize they had, uh, they really changed up the card frames with Magic 2015, and it's not just for Magic 2015. The borders have changed just going forward. The rares have little hologram things on them now as anti-counterfeiting measures because that's how big magic is, that people just counterfeit all the time, so they have to foil up all the rares. It's uh wild. But I don't know. I still I like magic. I wish the LCG format is something of a solution. There's just so many cool games out there that require this sort of ongoing interaction and investment of time actually most significantly that it's so hard to to keep up with them and you you can't you just can't do all the cool stuff out there it's a real shame i also did visit griggling games and i got a, a rules discussion of of destination neptune which is a an economic space exploration or you know solar system exploration game where you're you're building factories and colonies out throughout the solar system. Unfortunately, I was not able to get a demo of that over the weekend, but hopefully uh, at some point over the coming months I'll be able to go back and and get to play that. So what what did you do on trade day, Mike? I played through the fourth wing of uh, Hearthstone's next rounds, <laughs> including the heroic mode difficulty stuff. Which was about half the day, because that stuff is really hard. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Mike actually plays through all of the stuff on Hearthstone. I'm like, I, uh, yeah, sure, I'll play the normal levels, and no, I'm not dealing with this heroic mode stuff. I do not need those card backs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's all you get. Well, that and the satisfaction of actually playing, and it's a difficult challenge. Yes, those are brutal. I love the fact that when you're going in to try to do one, it's like, these are really hard. Just keep in mind in advance, these are really hard. You're going to lose a lot. Just don't say we didn't warn you. <laughs> so that cover everything for, for Wednesday, I think we had? I think so, yeah. Okay, then on to day number one. So, Jay... You started your Thursday, uh, you had an early access, like the one hour early on 9am to get into the dealer's hall. I know you use that to get in line for Doomtown Reloaded's premium set, so how awesome was the premium Doomtown Reloaded box? Oh, the premium Doomtown Re- Reloaded box is really nice. It's a uh wooden box with you know hinges and brass clasps and inside of it not only do you have a full playset of all the cards but you've got the wooden faction markers you've got real clay poker chips i mean they're actually quality poker chips and you got the little money chips to use instead of you know the cardboard punch outs that everyone else gets the ghost rock is it's actually metal right yes very fancy. No no joke. Yeah, and AEG has said that they will assess demand and decide whether or not it will be feasible to do another print run of the Super Fancy Limited Edition versions, and I would be shocked if they didn't. I don't know how the demand for those could not be high enough to justify doing another batch of them it may i don't know how big a batch it's going to be but i i would be surprised if they didn't so what did you do on thursday jay after you got through thursday was basically my wander to the dealer hall room looking for things to buy so basically that was most of what i did was just look around see things buy probably more games than i should have and then Thursday night was the Dragon Dinner, right? Yes. Okay. So yes, that was after activity. Yes. We all went to the uh the Legend of the Five Rings Dragon Clan dinner, although Mike and Jay are not, you know, Dragon Clan players, but that's all right. I'm dragon enough for three of us. <laughs> well, everybody was at that dinner anyways. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of the, the Mantis dinner was also at the same place too when there were just all sorts of L5R and EG people around the the restaurant. That was cool. Uh, so, what did you do on Thursday, Mike? Other than stand in line for I don't even want to know how long to pick out your pick up your badge. Oh, I only stood in line for like uh, fifteen or twenty minutes or so. Oh, we got to the hall about like eight fifty or something like that. Because I know you were rushing to get to your. Dark Naga thing, which I'm sure you know you're going to talk about in a second. Yes, but I went to the will call be- line, and it stretched for a decent amount. But all you have to do is show them your ID. They go find your badges, your your badge and your tickets that you've got for will call. Bring it back and just ask you your email, confirm that you know what it is, and hand it hand the stuff to you. You just check, make sure everything's there, and you're gone. 
you're done. So it, it's a really fast process. The line moves very quickly. They don't even have to process payment or anything like that. Yeah, so that did not take very long at all. I was uh, waiting in front of the dealer's room by like 9.15, 9.20, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I um, I was in the throng that was there. I actually got a spot. Like, most of it was pressed to the back of the room where there's, you know, there's a line of movement back. For those who don't know, the convention center, there's one big section that's blo- that uh, is kind of a big room that is the dealer's room. And it's, it's a significant chunk of the convention center, but they don't actually open the dealer's room until 10 a.m. It's open to 10 to 6 for most days. And so obviously 10 a.m. on Thursday is the first day that most of the stuff goes on sale. So it's, it's a pretty big day to get there if there's something you absolutely want to make sure you get if it's going to be some kind of limited release. So like the, the Advanced Doomtown or for me, well, not just for me, but uh, Conquest, stuff like that. So anyway, so I actually managed to be right in front of the opening ceremony. I saw the little stage and I'd seen it last year, but I was actually like in the middle of the throng. So I saw it kind of out of the corner of my eye. This time I was towards the back, but I was right in front of the stage, so I had, at least had some entertainment before the doors open. Doors open, I went pretty much made a beeline straight for the uh, Fantasy Flight Games booth. There was a number of th- different things I wanted to hit, but I figured Fantasy Flight was probably going to have the longest line out of all of them at the beginning, because I had pre-ordered by Doomtown. Yeah, and the, they'd certainly had a giant line m- most of the weekend. Yeah. You had to hit them at certain points for them not to have a giant line. Without people being there, it's hard for me to describe. But I got pretty early in line for for what it was, you know, and I the fact that I was at the back of the crowd. I was at the right door because it's the door that goes right to the Fantasy Flight booth because they don't usually change. They usually keep the same space, and I've done this a couple times before. So I just went straight to the back of the line because I knew exactly who to look for or whatever. And I waited in line for about 45 minutes. It really is not bad. I, I don't know, maybe that sounds bad, but it's a convention, and this is one of the big things that I do, so 45 minutes is really not bad. Really nice, uh, very nicely, uh, one of the touches that F- Fantasy Flight actually added this year, and they had a convention game where it was, they handed everybody a pack of cards that was, it was like a rules card, like a basic card or whatever, and then you had a challenge, an item, and five guys. And the five guys had like, there were four different stats that they could have. They had one or two of them in a certain number. And basically what you could do is you could trade the item or your people with other people, and your item plus your people had to equal or exceed the stats of your challenge. And that was it. You know, So that basically was a way to encourage people to turn front and back and start talking and say, hey, do you have this? Oh, I need this to try and finish that challenge. And I finished that one. And then they give you a harder one, and if you finish that one, you got a VIP ticket where you could take a tour of their facility or whatever, but I never managed to finish the event. But it, it was pretty nice, and it was cool to see the, the artwork, and it was a good way to kind of do an icebreaker. But so I uh, I got into the booth. Uh, they actually had a little ticket system where, before you got even got in there, there are a few items that they only have a limited stock because they're appearing at Gen Con for the very first time. I got two copies of Conquest, and I got The Last Banquet. Conquest, I I, just, I really like LCGs. I've got a, a somewhat fondness for 40k. I've played it in the past. I, I like the Tau. I like card games in general, and it seemed pretty fun, so I figured I'd go ahead and 
try it out. It's 40k. I cannot imagine myself in, in an LCG. I cannot imagine myself if I don't like it and having a hard problem getting rid of it. Uh, you know, selling it off or whatever. So, I figured I was pretty safe there. Yeah. And we did get to, to play that a little bit once we got to, to Sunday. So, how did you end up enjoying that? I know there was a lot of both of us going, oh my god, that card you just played is so broken. Because we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I think it has to be said that really in Conquest, I think to be competitive, there's no way you don't buy three sets. I just don't see any way around it. There's so many cards you only get one of. And I think this is a symptom of, it, it's got about as many cards, and it's a $40 box. It's got about as many cards as their other LCGs. It's just that they tried to put seven factions in, and there's only so much cross usage you can get out of that, and there's only like six different neutral cards. Uh, you can only have three of one copy of a card in your deck, but it's still, there's a lot of stuff you're probably going to want in triplicate that you only get one of in the box set. And it's not like Netrunner, where there's like four different cards you had one of. So with two, you could probably make do. You could probably borrow one off of someone who's not using it. I guess you could still do that. I guess you could kind of trade some of the stuff. You know, if I don't really care about my Chaos stuff and you don't really care about your Space Marine stuff, maybe you could trade for that third set. I guess that's doable. I do have to admit that my initial reaction to doing that is like, oh, God, really? You have to buy three of them? But I think when you drill down into it, yeah, it is better than Netrunner because the reason that the third set thing was, at least for me, especially frustrating in Netrunner was, yeah, that you were really buying this third set to get, like, four cards, give or take, that almost Almost everything you had a play set of with two box. It was just this couple of things, and there was like one of them that you had to have for tournament play. Whereas with 40K, as you said, there's tons of things that are only one of. So by the time you're done buying three of them, you actually have play sets of many more different cards. You're not quote unquote wasting as much of your purchase of the, the third box. I mean, obviously, you're going to end up with. A bunch of extra copies of the starter card, the faction cards, the warlord, and the eight cards that go with the warlord. But you're not going to just be sitting there with, oh, I've got nine copies of 70% of the cards that are in here. But yeah, I I had to do it just to get those last couple. And all of this was mainly to say, like, obviously with an LCG or an ECG or whatever type of card game. Unless you've had some kind of prior experience, a lot of times, you know, you just have to go through the demo stuff, the stuff that they set up and say, here, try this first to get a hang of the game. So what I did with Conquest, since I bought two sets, basically how you make the starters, you just take everything from a certain faction and then take one of each neutral card, and you get two of each neutral card in the base set. So I just built four starters out of my two boxes. So we just played... We didn't, I didn't get to play nearly as much as I wanted to, so we just played Tau versus Space Marines like two or three times. I feel like there were some definite balance issues there, but like I said, I, I think that's mainly because we were playing starters. So it, it's a lot harder for me to say, oh, this game, it, you know, I don't want, I definitely off of that don't want to say it's not balanced or whatever. I do think there's going to be a very interesting thing with that wheel, because I, I was listening to another interview with a designer that every other faction has. I think it's every other, has um, has a board wipe. Space Marines have Exterminatus, and Chaos Marines have Chaos Warp or whatever. 
So every faction has access to one, but that means since you can only choose one of your allies, you basically have to ally with that faction, it seems like, which was a kind of an odd design choice to me. Well, if every other faction has a board wipe, though, you would still have either you have the board wipe or the people to your left and the people to your right would have a board wipe. Sorry, it's it's not every other. It's only three of them. Oh, okay. So, yes, you're right, then, if you... If you wanted a board wipe and you didn't have one, you would have to ally with a particular... But they're very narrow board wipes, too. But now we're probably starting to get right, into the yeah. weeds. So well, maybe we'll save that for a future LCG track episode. Yeah, so I, I didn't mean to get that, that deep. But I mean, I think that was part of part of my understanding of the product once I start to look at it. The game itself, I think, is pretty fun. And I know a lot of people have kind of said, well, this is kind of a reworking of Star Wars, and it's from the same designer, if I'm not mistaken, because I think Eric Lang did both of them. Although Eric Lang didn't do all of this, he just kind of put the core set out, or, like, the core ideas. I don't know how much it really feels like Star Wars. It's a two-player game where there are units and there's permanent damage, and there are some things that are, are pretty basic, but I the whole thing with the command points and then the line of planets and you're probably only fighting on the one, but the other ones generate cards and economy. I think that's pretty unique to this product. Well, I think it's, it's, it can be kind of swingy like star Wars. And I think part of it is when people first look at conquest, because every round you deploy of the five planets, you have optional, only one can actually be one and you have to have Three different symbols, uh, some mixture of the symbols, and when you three win, win three planets with the same symbol, that's how you win the game. Every round, you can deploy your units to any of any of those planets, and then you deploy your warlord to a different planet, and you reveal that at the same time as your opponent. And I think initially your idea is, well, the first planet's the most important, so why wouldn't I just mainly spam the first planet? And in that way, it, I guess it kind of feels like Star Wars in some ways, but I, I think there's more. It's not that there's more depth than Star Wars. It's more there's more depth than just go attack the first planet. There's a lot of things you have to consider. Yeah, and I think probably the part that felt the most like Star Wars is sort of rule structure things. For example, when you get into a fight, it's one player hits and then you know one of their units exhausts. They don't focus. They tap. You know, turn sideways. Whatever they exhaust, just strike. And then there's an action window, and then the other guy has a guy strike, and then there's an action window. So I guess that seems like the strongest similarity to me, but... I, and and I even know. then, it's it's really not, because then yeah. once everybody's exhausted, you ready everybody, and you just keep attacking, because it's 40k, and that's what you do. Uh, yeah, and there's there's a ranged keyword, so there's a, a round where long-range units get to attack first, and there's things like uh, flying units take half damage from non-flying units. I'm not saying it's like Star Wars. I'm saying, I guess, I don't think that it's particularly like the Star Wars LCG, but that's about, of all the stuff in there, that was the thing that seemed the most similar, I guess, if if you had to pick something. I can see the similarities. I can see what people are saying when they say it's like Star Wars. There's some some of the same decisions, kind of. But the big thing to me, like I said, is it's the, all of your resources are on the board. You have to go contest for resources there is no sitting back in this game it's 40k that makes sense there is no sitting back in 40k because if you sit back they're just gonna everything's just gonna roll you over 
and making those tactical decisions of, okay, do I contest this planet, or do I try and wait for this next planet? Do I really try and stack units up on this de- next planet in case he has, you know, a, one of the board wipes for that planet, or do I send my warlord somewhere where there's other people and maybe fight and try and take out one of his units, or do I send him to this other planet that has two resources that he doesn't have anything at, so I'll just win that bat, I'll just win that command struggle. So I get those resources I know I need and I can set up for the next round. I, I think there's a lot of interesting struggles and choices in that game and it's, it's pretty fast paced and it's pretty, it's very in your face. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I do think I probably preferred Doomtown out of both of them, but it, it's a solid entry. Yeah. Oh, and on the, the con game, that's, that was very popular. That's totally going to be back next year. Some, yeah. something like that. Okay. So what did you, okay. Actually, I was going to say, what did you do after you left the fantasy, fantasy flight booth? But I know you bought more than that at the fantasy flight booth. Yes. So I also bought The Last Banquet, which is a game for 6 to 25 players. I think it's pretty unique. It's got a bunch of different scenarios. People apparently split into teams, and they're given the scenario, your different teams will try to do different things, and you have different roles. Basically, this is a big semi-party game, and a lot of the reason that I got this was that I have a, a group of friends where we'll have 12 to 15 to 20 people show up, just depending on what's going on. And obviously, once you get, once you really get to like six, it gets kind of hard to find a game. And especially when you get to like 18 people, <laughs> you can, you can technically kind of break up into small groups, but you know, that's really not what you want to do a lot of times in a party. You, you know, want everybody together and be social or whatever. And I'm really tired of Werewolf. Werewolf is fine, but especially since it's a lot of the people that I'm seeing over and over again, it just degenerates into, well, this person kills this person, kills this person, kills this person. Etc. And so the last banquet seemed like a nice alternative potentially. I haven't even really finished reading the rulebook, so I can't talk too much to that. But that's that's why I got it. Then I also got the Descent Print and Play, which was actually part of their organized play for Descent, but they decided to just put it out as a print and play. It gives you a Descent actual co-op mission or campaign or something, which I thought was pretty cool. So I definitely grabbed that. Wait, wait now, what do you mean by? When you say co-op, like it's a mission where there's no dungeon master? Right. It, it okay. has some kind of automated thing that runs the monsters or whatever. I haven't cracked it open to look at it yet. But that's how they described it, and it sounded really cool. Was Manor of Ravens there, and did you get that? Manor of Ravens was there. I held off on that just because I knew I was probably going to get a whole bunch of other stuff. And I've not been able to play Descent that much. I just got another expansion like maybe a month and a half ago. And I haven't even gotten a chance to play that, so I wanted to schedule out some time. I figure by the time I get to where I'd want Raver of Man- a Matter of Ravens, it would be out generally. I, I'm, I knew I was getting enough stuff at Gen Con, so I was like, I'll just put that on hold. And then the last thing I got was the Forced and Destiny beta role-playing game, which is pretty humorous, because the thing in uh, FFG's, like, uh, their official wrap-up, video wrap-up or whatever summary of the day, they're like, and unannounced and I'm completely surprised is the Force and Destiny beta book. I'm like, no, this was not a surprise to anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, this, this was pretty predictable, but that's fine. I mean, this is probably the book that a lot of people were wanting and waiting for. Not that there's anything wrong with Age of Rebellion or Edge of the Empire, but obviously Jedi are extremely popular. And I like Jedi. Who doesn't really like Jedi? I mean, that's, you know, a lot of what Star Wars gets you know, its uniqueness from. Um, yeah. Did, other things, but did every every single one of us ended up with a copy of that, right? 
Yes. Yep. Yes. So, right. Since I texted you asking you if you wanted me to pick you up a copy, and you answered like an hour later, yes, and I was like, I've been out of that booth for a while. Well, I was, I was playing. It was in the middle of a game. <laughs> Look, who cares if the peasants burn? You need to answer me whether or not you need to get this book. Anyway, so, so I finished up at FFG. I actually did not spend quite as much money as I thought, which was kind of a pleasant surprise, mainly because I couldn't buy a third copy of Conquest because they don't let you have to. Oh. But hmm. anyways, um, so then I went over to Catalyst Labs, and they had a booth. Oh, oh the big thing I wanted from them was Shadowrun Crossfire because they were showing it at last Gen Con, and I had seen some video previews from some other events that had happened that are more like retailer that there've been YouTube videos or whatever, and it's a deck builder cooperative game. And I was like, okay, well, this is sounds like it's totally up my alley. And I watched the videos, and it seemed pretty good, so I picked that up. And then I headed over to AEG booths, and I picked up my two Doom Towns that I had pre-ordered. And then my list of items says I then died, aka sat down and played with all of my stuff because I couldn't move anymore after being in line for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... Yeah, th- those of our uh, usual listeners know we're usually fairly heavy on AEG stuff, and in doing this as a specifically uh, Gen Con thing, we actually, I think, have less than we otherwise would because we actually got some things like Lost Legacy and Istanbul and Pagoda before Gen Con, so we'll get to them at some point, but not really in these go-overs. But you mentioned Shadowrun Crossfire, and we all got to play that on Sunday. So, I, I mean, just one mission. I don't know if you played it any more than that. So, but Mike, but but what did you think about uh, Crossfire, Jay? I enjoyed it. I mean, there's always problems with co-op games, just in the the nature of them being co-op. But I did not feel like one person was running the table. I did not feel like a lot of those usual issues were particularly bad, and it was fun, enjoyable game. Co-op games also always have that issue of being challenging without being brutal, and so I felt like it was nicely in that range where we felt like we could have lost at any point, but we eventually succeeded. How satisfied with you with that, Mike? Overall, I'm pretty satisfied. The price point on it was like $60 for the box, which, given the components were pretty high quality, so I'm overall pretty happy. It felt a little pricey to me, but they give you a lot of stuff in the box. Like, not just the cards that they give you and the books and the tokens, like the rule book or whatever. They give you a whole bunch of stuff, like, welcome to Shadowrun. Here's the world. It's a very... Um, and it's very good, like Pathfinder, the Pathfinder Adventure card game. It really helps to like really bring you into the Crossfire world, um, it's Crossfire world, into the Shadowrun world. So those of us who know Shadowrun and love Shadowrun, anyways, it, it's really nice to see all these different things. The game is it's probably not quite as good as I was expecting, but that's that's fine. It's still well within the realm of I would like to play this a good bit more. I think the only disappointing things I had for it were that. You only get three missions in the base game, which is really odd. And two of them are, like, early level, like, okay, you'll do this one a couple times, and then you'll be ready for the next one. And both of those, they don't give you all that much experience, or karma, as they call it, when you do them. 
you have to do them a lot to even start the third mission, which is a dragon mission. I don't know. I felt like maybe there should have been another mission in there. I feel like four might have been a little bit more well-rounded. Also, the fact it really feels like it's meant to be played with four players, or four players are going to have a significantly easier time due to their access to more different types of cards, uh, because the types of cards uh, mattered. Oh, the, the solo, you can it says it's one to four, but only one of those three missions technically officially supports solo play, but you can just grab a couple of characters and just play it yourself. It definitely is designed for four people. I, I mean, it, it's you're basically already, they're kind of kitbashing it to just to take it down to three, because there are four different resources in a generic sense, you know, a, a combat thing, a hacking thing, a face character, you know, as, as somebody who can talk, and then uh, a magic user, and and there are four roll cards, and when you choose that roll, that defines what your starting deck is. It doesn't matter what character you are. Your, your character defines some other things, like your starting hand size, but what starts in your deck is defined by your roll, and so each roll has lots of cards in their deck that are very good at one particular kind of challenge, and so if you have less than four players, you are just really short on one of the four resources, so you can have a, a substantially harder time getting past challenges that require that resource. I don't know how much people have been following this, but you're talking about you know, needing to play missions you know, repeatedly in order to prepare for a later mission. This is a game that not really similar in, in anything but the broadest strokes, but like Risk Legacies is a game, or, or, or you know what, like Path, like the Pathfinder Adventure card game, yeah. is a game where you have a character who improves over time. In this case, you have a sheet, and your sheet has a slot on it, and when you earn so many, has these four empty spaces on it, and when you earn so many karma, experience points, whatever, you can buy an extra ability, and so you take a literal sticker, and you put the sticker on your character sheet, and now you have that extra ability, but yeah, you have to do the missions a bunch of times. You can then incrementally make the missions more difficult by changing the starting conditions because once your character has too many abilities, the missions will give you less experience points for completing them to the point where then they can be worth nothing uh, if you have not made them more difficult. It's actually based on karma, not just ability. So even if you save up for one big ability, once you buy that ability you are now in, a, in the penalty zone for... Okay, yeah. You know, this is going to give you negative one karma every time you do it. I also felt like, and this is maybe a minor thing, I, like, I felt like the cards that you buy out of the market are really good and feel very evocative of Shadowrun and the stuff that's in the world of Shadowrun, but I was a little bit disappointed in that the basic cards are really just different colors. That's all they're all they are. Mana is blue and face is red, but they don't have anything unique about them. Like, there's no extra thing that they do. I think they could have done something more with the basic deck, possibly, to make it kind of pull stuff in. Especially because you don't really acquire that many cards. Like, it says it's a deck building game, but I don't know how much... Like, you say deck building game, and you think the game is mostly about building up your deck and getting the deck better. That feels more like a portion of this game like like maybe even a smaller portion of this game. um which, which is not bad it's just different 
Uh, yeah, it, it is a game that has a deck-building aspect to it, but I would not, even though I think it's labeled a deck-building game, I would not call it a deck-building game. If somebody came to me and said, Chris, I really like deck-building games, let's play a deck-building game, I would never get that out, because that's not the experience I don't think that they're going to be looking for. Right, well, and specifically, uh, just really quickly, typically deck-building games, you have resources in your deck. And then a lot of times what car, what some will do is like, you know, you, it's only just a resource or you have to choose, are you going to use it for its ability or are you going to use it for its resource? You know, they use something like that. In Shadowrun, you just have new yen, which is obviously the currency of the world. And you spend that new yen to buy stuff out of the market, which is just six cards flipped out of a central deck. And you get to put it immediately into your hand so you can use it the next round so you don't have to wait for it to get shuffled in. But the thing is, the only way that you get more Nuyen is to actually solve the challenges, which are the main, kind of the main part of the game. Yeah, and we only added, what, three, maybe four cards to our decks over the course of a mission? Yeah, and maybe we, we were playing on the most basic level with very basic characters, so maybe that changes a bit when you're playing missions that are a little bit grindier, but... Yeah, this was okay. I... We don't really have an alpha gamer problem if it's just us playing because we're all the sort of people who get on the internet and blather about games. So, right, we, we're all quite willing to voice our opinions about strategy and nobody's going to get run over. The rules have official limits on communications. Like, you're not actually allowed to just tell somebody, I have this, that, and the other in my hand, presumably to prevent that sort of thing. But I could see that kind of coming up as an issue if it's not but regardless i think the the primary thing it felt like we were doing in the game was sort of the three of us talking directly or roundabout about how do we address this solution how do we address that solution and so i would really think that the co-op aspect of the game to me felt like the most defining element of it like if you if somebody wants to play a co-op game, this could be something that they want to play. If somebody does not like co-op games in general, I, I don't think this is going to work for them. No, I really don't. And like I said, you probably want four people. Okay. Well, now, did you... Jay, I know you did go through Fantasy Flight and buy Force and Destiny. Did we skip over anything else you did on Friday? Or was that just... Uh, this is still I, I Thursday, right? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, yes, Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. I sort of just glossed over that I went to a lot of different booths and bought various games. Most of them were, you know, older things that aren't going to be as exciting, like uh, Stone Age or Zulkin. Well, Stone Age is pretty good to me. I was going to say, first, Zulkin and Stone Age are both pretty exciting, because Jay, Jay is, what's the word I'm thinking of, smart, and does not <laughs> necessarily join us. It just buying new shinies right there's there's a certain efficiency to being like hmm wait this game from a year or two ago or more than that in the case of stone age yeah is really still amazing and i i can just get it after i know that it's amazing rather than take chances but no i i agree with you yeah that we we don't need to go through every old old yeah. thing that we bought i just realized oh force and destiny is new and i wasn't sure if you had bought something else new at fantasy flight that we had skipped over no that was that was all i got at fantasy flight was uh force and destiny so i think they had onslaught at arda 4 there but that will basically i'll buy that when it is that we are going to be in a position that we'll have the chance to play it they had what 
Onslaught at Art of Four. It was the first. It was the first supplement for Age of Rebellion oh, after right. the Game Master kit. Right. Yeah. Okay, so continue on your Thursday adventure, Mike. Well, no, that was I. I died. <laughs> I, I played Shadowrun oh, okay. by myself. Uh, I met up with you guys. We went to the dragon dinner. We we played D and D on the next day, didn't we? Yeah, we played D and D on Friday. Yeah, yeah. So I I don't remember anything else that I did. So if I did it, I blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> okay. So my my Thursday for this episode will be relatively short, which is good because I'm looking at the time and I'm I'm thinking we're gonna call this episode at the end of Thursday, which is horrifying because <laughs> Friday is really my long day, but. Most of what I did on Thursday was Legend of the Five Rings. As I think Mike indicated, the main thing that I did was was related to Siege Heart of Darkness, which I'll get into the details of really when we do the Legend of the Five Rings episode. But this is a a multiplayer product. I have been for years wanting Legend of the Five Rings to come out with a product like this, and it is something in the vein of the arch enemy decks that magic had or the uh they they had overlord they had something like this in warlord which i never played and they all and then they had the raid decks in the world of warcraft tcg where you have one player who is playing some sort of super deck usually with some sort of extra super powerful cards that only he is allowed to use and he is playing against a group two, three, four, five other players all at the same time. And this Siege Heart of Darkness is the first time that Legend of the Five Rings is trying to do this. I really liked it. I, I hope that it sells really well and they make more of them. That would be great. But there were 12 slots. I got in there and played in the first one against this the Dark Naga Siege deck at 9 in the morning on Thursday. So I gave up on early access to the hall to go do this. That's how much I wanted to. And then, after I finished that game, I had I had previously contacted the, the designers, and I was able to get in and play as the big evil Dark Naga Siege deck immediately after playing against it. I was happy to say I, I managed... Uh, well, I, I managed to win the second time. My team managed to win the, the first one. But partially because there was a lot going on and it was the first time anybody was doing everything that ended up eating up until four so i was i was at that for a long time so there was a lot to hear about on the the all five art podcast but i'll i'll skip over it for now so i got done at four that's two hours left for the dealer's hall so i wanted to go take care of of what i could in there see what i could i actually ended up spending much of that time doing a full game demo of Mice and Mystics from Plat Hat Games, which is not a new game. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, it's a new in that it's a couple years old. Not new is in, you know, it, it didn't just come out of Gen Con or something. So, uh, Mice and Mystics is an adventure game or, or a dungeon crawl, you might think about it. It's like the D&D Adventure System games. I don't think that it requires a a game master character, the you can do everything automated. We, the guy doing the demo, basically played as the you know game master anyway, doing all the the AI stuff for us. Because how the heck would we know what to do? In this game, you are mice. 
some characters might be normal mice, some characters might be humans turned into mice, and so when you are going through the adventures, the currency is cheese, and the bad guys will be, you know, guards that have been turned into rats or bugs, and for the, the first mission, the big scary enemy that you want to avoid is a cat. <laughs> you know, it's not a dragon, it's a cat who will rip you to pieces. And I, I thought that was, was pretty clever. Something that we, we didn't get so much in the demo, but that I know is there for the game, is that there was a lot of story aspects to it. So there's chapters, like you have an episode and there's chapters, and then you have pages within the chapter, and there's a lot of story to read. Uh, it comes with some pretty nice little miniatures of, of all the little mice characters, each mouse has his own statistics. I mean, there's only a small number of them. There's a small range. It's not hyper-complex or anything, and you can get items to improve your mouse. And this is another game where your where your character does improve over time. So just like if you're playing Descent, your character can, if he finds equipment, then you can carry that on to the next mission. So so that was was pretty fun. The other booth that I made a point of visiting on Thursday was the Haba booth. They're a, a German manufacturer of little kids' games. And I bought Animal Upon Animal, which is not a new game, but is probably the one that I've heard most talked about of theirs. And Animal Upon Animal, you're basically stacking. It's got all these wooden pieces. All their games have these fantastic wooden components. You start out with like a really long crocodile and... There's a die that tells you exactly what you have to do, but essentially you're stacking up the little wooden animal pieces and trying not to knock it down. And if you knock it down, then you have to take some of the pieces that you knock down will go back into your pile. And the object is to be the first person to get rid of your pile. I actually got to play that with, I mean, I guess technically it's a four plus game. Benjamin turns four a week from today. So he and, he enjoyed it, but he also found it frustrating. I I don't know. We actually learned today that he's got a real problem with one of his eyes that means he doesn't have any depth perception right now, apparently. So that may have had something to do with it, with how well he could get the animals on there. So that kind of sucked. That's probably not really anything anybody wanted to hear about on the podcast. Sorry. So... The other cool little game that they had that I did not buy, and I actually can't remember the name of it, was this... I mean, again, these are little kids' games, so like it's a, you have a felt bag and it's got pairs of objects, and you leave one set of the objects out, and you take the other ones and you hide one in the bag, and the kid has to sort of feel it and describe what he's feeling and try to figure out what the other one is, you know, which promotes some other skills. I actually avoided this booth for the rest of the con... Because I knew if I went back to the booth, there was other stuff I would want to try out and buy. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> we already have a stack of little kids' games. So I, I sort of like, uh, I think Mike ended up doing with Pathfinder Skull and Shackles. Like, I know I don't need to get this. And I know if I go back to the, go to the booth, I'm going to buy it. So I have to just stay away. So that's, that's kind of what I did with, uh, with Haba, which was really the, the main other thing I did on, on Thursday, like everybody else, I ended up going to the, the Dragon Clan dinner, which was lots of fun. So I think we got out of there at maybe 11, went back and uh, all passed out, give or take. 
Yeah, I would say then the other reason that I avoided the uh, the Pathfinder Adventure game is because Paizo's line was another one that was just nuts that first day. I avoided it for the rest of the con too, but just say. Okay. Yeah. Now it. That's always one of those things, right? We uh, gaming is fun. Gaming is not the most important thing in the universe. It's not. One should always be aware of one's gaming budget. Obviously, you can tell, right? Like, we like games. We like to play new games. But you do not have to go out and always buy the brand newest thing. So, even though that's kind of the antithesis of what... Well, uh, you know, I was going to say, that's the antithesis of what part of what Gen Con is about. But part of Gen Con is also about going back and and playing the same old game that you like with other people who really like it. One of the things you can do at Gen Con is register for events that are just getting together and playing games, basically, or little mini or little small-scale tournaments of games. So, right. I mean, I, I personally think of Gen Con as a place to go and do tournaments of all sorts of different games and con games of RPGs and tournaments for card games and board games and all that fun stuff. And just a place to kind of commune with gamers in general. Like they said in the opening ceremony, she was like, you know, basically you guys are our family, and this is your home, so welcome home. She's like, you know, everybody who's here for the very first time, and it was a whole bunch of, you know, a bunch of people raised their hand, and she was like, okay, now everybody turn to those people and say, welcome home, because, you know, this is this is all about inclusion and everybody having fun, so, you know. That's really what it is. It, you know, it's kind of that. You know, it is cool and getting the new to see the new stuff and demoing stuff before it's even out. It, you know, won't be out for a few months. All that kind of good stuff. But really and truly, you go back for people. I feel like in the experience. All right. Well put. Like I said, so we are going to wrap up this episode, part one of our Gen Con review for 2014. We will be back very soon i anticipate with part two of this coverage which will pick up with what we did on friday how did we just talk for an entire episode about what we did in a day and a half oh my lord i feel like thursday was probably actually one of the busiest we also covered all of the games almost Uh, yeah well you haven't gotten to my friday yet because friday was the day that i spent in the dealer hall (laughs) oh You've been listening to Strange Assembly. You can check us out at www.strangeassembly.com or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also find us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly or at strangeassembly on Twitter. I always love to hear from our readers and listeners, so you can contact me. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. But until then... For Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly, Never Stop Gaming.